Hey there, good people in crypto land. I'm Matt Lysing, and this is my podcast, Decent People. Welcome back to the conversation. We're taking a break over the holidays, so we're going to share some old episodes with you. And today, we're going to um, share the one I had with Jeff Davis, who is a gener- generative artist and the chief creative officer at Artblocks. I spoke to Jeff about his love of math, growing up outside of Chicago, and being an art professor for 20 years. Uh, he is a celebrated NFT artist and is um, helping to push the platform uh, and uh, the, uh, the art form uh, with his work at Artblocks. So with all that, let's get to the conversation and we'll be back with uh, new episodes in early January. Thank you. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited too. It's an honor to have you on. I'm a big fan um, of of all your work and uh, what you are doing for the NFT uh, generative art space. So uh, this is a conversation I've really been looking forward to. Um, So I think the last time I saw you was in Los Angeles at Bright Moments. And uh, since then, I believe you went to Tokyo to do uh, the latest installment of what they're doing in their world tour. Yeah, I haven't gone. We, that hasn't happened yet, so that'll be early May. But yeah, I've been working on my um, project. I'm going to be participating there um, as an artist again, as I have in all the bright moments locations. So yeah, I'm getting my get my project ready, getting my travel booked, um, and I uh, uh, showcased the kind of my work in progress uh, during the bright moments event in LA. Kind of the project oh, okay. I'm working on for that. Yeah, yeah. That, I must have got that mixed up. I thought you uh, had already gone there, but I think the you've, you've uh, they're on sale, right? And I believe they've sold out. Yeah. So the mint passes um, went on sale. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I guess. At this point, yeah. And so the the way that Bright Moments does it is they sell. Um, there are. 11 artists in total um, participating um, in the uh, Tokyo collection for generative art. Um, and they sell them um, blindly. So you just get a mint pass and you actually don't know which artist or project um, it's assigned to. Um, and then there's a reveal, which just happened recently, that uh, kind of essentially attaches the artists to the mint passes. So, yeah, that all just kind of wrapped up. And it's nice actually like participating that way because what happens is, um, all the kind of economics and sales part of the projects gets out of the way beforehand. And then, so when we actually show up on site and in the city to, to do the minting and experience the events, kind of all the, all the financial portion of that is, is out of the way and we can just focus on the art experience then. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the art and uh, revealing and and people don't know what, what it's going to look like. The artist doesn't know it's a, yeah. Fascinating. We'll we'll get into that in a little bit, but, I'd love to talk to you about your background and kind of where you came from and, uh, you know, uh, how this all came about. Um, so where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up, uh, suburbs of Chicago, uh, Crystal Lake, uh, Illinois, um, lived there just my entire childhood. Um, that's where I was raised and grew up. And so, you know, made, sort of a normal suburban life but you know trips into yeah. downtown chicago which is some of my first art exposure and i was doing that yeah it's a great art city and architecture city as well yeah um, for sure yeah what uh what were your parents doing at that point uh my mom was a stay-at-home mom um and my dad was an actuary um 
they had both uh, actually studied uh, mathematics at um, Lawrence University, uh, which is where I ultimately ended up going to college. And I also <laughs> studied mathematics um, as an undergraduate uh, as well. So yeah, it was kind of, it was funny, a little bit of a legacy there, both in terms of school and, and subject. Yeah, I noticed, um, I thought it, this encapsulated you really in just a few words. Your um, your major there was a, a bachelor's in math and studio art. Yes. <laughs> I yeah, well, I've I mean, seen that. yeah, I mean, I, I definitely started, you know, when I went to went to college, um, I was I was always good at math. It was a subject I liked, you know, in high school. Um, and that's kind of what I thought, you know, I would be studying um, when I went to college. And I initially was toying with like adding, uh, you know, a physics major with it. They seemed, you know, very related subjects. And um, I took some physics courses and I actually didn't like them as much as I thought I would. So then I just sort of said, well, I'll just, I'll just stick with the math part. Um, but uh, where I went to school, Lawrence University, it's a liberal arts college. And so you have to take a lot of um, different disciplines um, as a requirement um, for fulfilling your, the liberal arts portion of your degree, regardless of what you major in. And so um, my, I guess the beginning of my sophomore year, um, I took a studio art class, intro to studio art, just to fulfill one of my liberal arts requirements, humanities type requirements. Um, and I really liked it. It was the first time I actually really did art sort of in a, you know, concrete way. Um, I, I think I probably always thought of myself as being a creative person, but not, you know, not really in terms of like anything specific or uh, an art form or a hobby or a design or anything like that. And, and my mom actually was, was pretty creative too. She did a lot of like craft oriented things, um, quilting and, and, uh, things of that nature. And so I, you know, I think it was there and I just didn't really realize it. Um, and then I took this studio art class and I was like, this is great. I'm going to try some more of this. And so the next semester I took uh, an intro to painting class and then followed that with an intro to printmaking class. And then by the end of my sophomore year, I was looking at my schedule and figuring out how to add uh, a studio art degree on top of the, the math degree um, that yeah. I was pursuing. But as a kid, did you like to draw or did you have an artistic inkling? Like you said, your mom was sort of creative, but yeah, I mean, I think so a little or? bit. I mean, I really, yeah, I liked, I don't know if it, not drawing so much. I really liked coloring. Uh, you know, I, I remember like um, as a child having these really like um, this memory of these coloring books that we had, but they were really like, they were more like adult coloring books. I don't, I don't mean that in terms of content, but just in terms of like complexity, um, like yeah. really, really complicated, like, yeah, I know that, almost I know exactly fractal patterns about. and things like that. And I would get these yeah. massive, uh, you know, marker sets and I would spend right. just hours Like it's a cathedral, right? Or exactly, something exactly. Yeah. And like coloring those sorts of things. And that, that was really, you know, I loved doing that. Um, also I had, um, uh, my dad was really interested in early personal computing, like, and, and introducing me to that. And so I had some really early computers early on, um, that I also like to tinker with. And so I, so that always felt like a creative <laughs> outlet yeah. to me too, just yeah. sort of like hacking away at a, you know, um, an Apple IIe. Or, were you building your own computer? Like you could kind no, of build, No, no, he would find you know. ones that were, you know, um, you know, that were off the shelf. I mean, one of the first ones we had had this weird 
like you, you plug it into a black and white TV and it, it had a, like a membrane keyboard and then um, uh, you would attach uh, a cassette recorder to it and you could yeah. record, you know, it, it served as basically the disk drive. So you could, you could program on it and then record a bunch of, you know, bleeps and bloops <laughs> yeah. into a tape deck, which you could then play back into the machine to like load, you know, the program. And so um, that was an early one. And then I had an Apple uh, 2E um, when that came out. And that was sort of like next level <laughs> um, yeah. computing. Um, it and reminds so, me yeah. of Pong. Did you ever have Pong? Uh, yep. Yeah. For sure. Actually, yeah. that first computer that I was telling you about, like I, that was probably one of the first things I learned how to program. You'd get like magazines and things like that <laughs> that would have like code uh -huh. base in them. And so I think that was one of the first things I programmed on that on that other yeah. computer. That's great. Yeah, I remember programming like if then games, you know, where you yeah. would have like, you know, choose your own adventure basically, but um, on the prompt line of the computer. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think I was involved in a lot of things. Um, I, I really like skateboarding and like the culture and kind of the graphics culture around that. Um, and so I don't, there just was a lot of things that I think both felt creative to me, probably influenced me creatively. Um, I just didn't really like have an organization to it or, yeah. or I didn't like, you know, I, I didn't it's hard explicitly, as a kid, right? How do you know? Yeah, you didn't explicitly what, say yeah. like, oh, I'm a creative or I like drawing or I'm, yeah. I'm an artist or whatever. And it wasn't until like I took some formal sort of training on it that it would just really open my eyes to like things and, I probably had been thinking about. Yeah, but yeah. I just didn't really like understand what I was, yeah. what I was thinking. Kind about. of under the surface. Right. Were you, when you were, you know, good at math and, and things like that, were you, did you have a plan in mind there? Like, was it engineering that you thought you might want to go to architecture or... Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, I just knew that math was a good, you know, path for me. And I enjoy, I just, I still do. I enjoy doing math problems. Um, but I think probably when I was in college, my thinking was I really like college. And so maybe I just want to stay in college. And so I will, you know, pursue math and go on and get my master's, my PhD, and then I'll come back and I'll teach, <laughs> I'll I was, teach yeah, at college. And I so that was same. kind of probably how I was. Um, yeah, and ultimately I ended up following that road but for art instead that was kind of my initial um interest in majoring in art and then i went straight to grad school to get my mfa which is the terminal degree for for being a studio artist and then uh, you know the plan was to return back to college to be a art professor so when art kind of grabbed you as an undergrad um what what were you what medium were you working in and what was it that that you loved about it that made you make this shift in your life yeah i mean i i just started with painting it just seemed like the lowest hanging fruit to just something to get your hands on and sort of make um the i very quickly adopted uh a hard edge geometric style to my work and which isn't surprising given sort of my background in math. I mean, I just kind of went into geometry and abstraction pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, paint was just readily available and you could make a, make a surface and start painting on it. Um, but I, you know, I never, I don't know how would I, I, I never really enjoyed the act of painting. Um, it was always sort of a production process for me, like a factory process. Um, I, I would, 
before I would start a painting, I would know exactly what I want the thing to look like. Like I'd have already like sketched it out and figured out the colors and the structure of it. And so painting was just like, just a building process of what that thing was. There was no, there was no discovery that happened through the course like a means of painting. To an end. Yeah, exactly. It was just a production. Um, and so, and because the work I was doing was very straight and precise and, you know, I did as best as I could with paint to achieve that, but I never was quite happy with, with the level of precision um, that I could achieve um, in painting. And so, yeah, I started experimenting with other things, um, printmaking. Um, in, in college, I was doing lithography and, and wood, you know, woodblock prints mm -hmm. and things of that nature, etching. Um, and then when I got to grad school, I started exploring um, silk screening. And that was probably out of all the, I guess, fine art mediums that I experimented with, that one felt the most precise and kind of <laughs> was able to get the most precision out of, out of that, out of anything else. Oh, do, do you think you get that precision, that desire for precision from your math background? Because obviously math is a precise science, right? It's either right or it's wrong. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I, it just, I don't know, it just, I started just developing approach to um, what I wanted to do artistically. Um, and it, it, it's not, it's not that it was like straight up like math, but it was, I was doing a lot of um, uh, sort of representational abstraction. So I would look at my surroundings around me, particularly architecture. Um, and I try to sort out what the most basic underlying structure was in the things that I was looking at and in and sort of imbuing them with symmetry and proportion. Um, and so in kind of doing that, it just got to a point where if I want, I wanted things to be uh, proportionally equal to each other, one to one, one to two, one to three, one to four. And so it, to be able to express that properly, those, those, numbers needed to be right or, or you know or the edges of things need to be straight and so yeah it, it, it kind of i i think i think the art that i was engaged in early on was about ordering was about ordering my surroundings and so yeah i think that that's where the desire for for precision came from as well and were there artists that you were admiring at that point that sort of um were, were you know, had done this sort of thing before, or did you feel like you were kind of, this was something that you just needed to, to get out? Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, definitely lots of influences. Um, I, I was initially really influenced by pop art, um, and just kind of like bold colors and, and flat colors, um, graphic lines, outlining things. Um, and then, um, minimalism was a big influence on me as well. Just this idea that you know, a work of art could be sort of like stripped down to it's just bare minimum, you know, elements, and you're just sort of exposing that. And that was just really, really appealing um, to me. Um, so, I mean, just in a general sense, yeah, th those sorts of things. Um, and then more specific one is um, uh, Joseph Albers is just a huge, huge influence on me. And that, that kind of came more to me th during grad school, um, studying color uh, color theory there and it was based on his book um interaction of color um but just also just because i was approaching um art uh th say through my graduate studies with the intentions of returning 
to education and teaching art. And Albers was a, you know, kind of had a similar arc, you know, his career was a practicing artist, but also it was very important to him to um, be an educator. And so there was kind of a element to his work that I, I don't, I don't, that I drew from that it, it can be, you can, the work itself can be visually beautiful, but it can also be sort of like explanatory about like what it is or what it's trying to convey. Like it can be sort of educational in a sense as well. Yeah. And then what was it like after grad school? Um, I know a lot of MFA, you know, I don't know a lot about this, but I, I do get the impression that it can be hard to find a teaching position. Uh, yeah. You know, what, how, how was that in the art world? Is it the same way or how's that? Um, what's that like? Yeah, no, it's very, it's very, very competitive. Um, so immediately after, well, during grad school, um, and this kind of goes back to the fact that I was generally interested in computers, just sort of, you know, not, not for artistic use, but just, you know, I was just interested in technology. Um, while I was in grad school, I taught myself the basics of, um, it wasn't called Adobe Creative Suite, but the Adobe Suite of products. So I taught myself Photoshop and Illustrator. Um, I taught myself to do, you know, uh, the internet was just coming of age. And so I taught myself how to make basic, you know, web pages, um, thinking that that could be sort of a fallback position. Um, you know, if I need a job, you know, if I could, if I knew how to use this software, then I could maybe do some design work or something like that. Um, and so immediately out of grad school, that's what I did. I stayed in Chicago um, and I was a consultant um, uh, and I basically went into design firms and I helped designers learn how to use, I was, it was kind of weird. I was like, I was teaching software, but inside of design firms. So I would go in and help, help their designers learn how to use Illustrator or learn how to use Photoshop and sort of the basic functionality. So um, that was interesting. And then um Basically, my path towards um, trying to enter the education space is why I currently live in the Phoenix area now. I moved out here um, in, geez, 97, 98 um, for a teaching job that uh, I was offered here. And it was at a charter high school. Um, and they primarily wanted me to teach math. <laughs> um, but they did have an art class. And so I had the ability to sort of additionally teach um, some, some art class as well. Um, and so the, the idea was I'd move out here, get a few years of experience under my belt, and then, you know, maybe move back to the Chicago area or, or mm. to a, you know, campus somewhere where I would, you know, kind of take that next step. And I actually never ended up leaving. I uh, started doing some, uh, evening courses at the Art Institute of Phoenix, which was a campus of a larger network of design design schools. Um, I was teaching Photoshop and some color theory um, in the evenings there. And then they eventually um, decided to pilot an online university. And just, this was like 1999, uh, 2000. And it was kind of, it was pretty cutting edge at the time to, um, you know, think about offering, well, just, just online education period, but thinking about offering something visual like art and design. And so, um, I helped build some of the first classes, um, for the school taught them. And then basically that became my full-time job in 2000. Um, 
and I stayed with the Art Institute online uh, for 20 years after that. <laughs> um, yeah, teaching. that's the... Um... Yeah. Right, that's the University of Phoenix, right? That you see everywhere now. Well, it? it's it's actually not. So the University of Phoenix is yeah another big online university here. So this was you know similar. They were probably just kind of getting started in that same time zone as well. But yeah, so this was the Art Institute's their headquartered actually in Pittsburgh, um, and uh, they don't really well, they might have a few campuses left, but at the height of their you know kind of uh, growth, they had campuses in pretty much every major metropolitan city in the U.S., if not multiple. Um, and it was geared towards teaching kind of uh, applied arts. So you would get a degree in graphic design or web design or fashion design, mm -hmm. um, that sort of thing. Um, and I taught in the um, foundations department. So they had a first-year program that, regardless of your ending point of study, um, there was kind of a common curriculum that everybody took. And so it was your basic intro to art classes. So I taught uh, design fundamentals, color theory. Um, we taught drawing, um, things of that nature. In intro to Illustrator, intro to Photoshop, um, sure. intro to design yeah. applications. And had you, um, I just learned this recently, um, the digital art kind of goes back, I think, to the 70s. Um, had you stumbled across any of that at this, you know, on on your journey up to this point? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it goes back to probably 50. I mean, the, the advent of the first computers, like in the late fifties, but um, no, I mean, I was not aware um, that that history necessarily existed. And so my, you know, the, my degree at the Art Institute of Chicago was in painting and drawing. And I took, normal art history classes you know as part of that degree and so my framing of like art history was through that lens you know kind of right. understanding art through your more traditional you know survey of of western art uh you know from <laughs> whenever to you know modern day um right. but yeah in that that kind of you know kind of the computer art movement that i'm more familiar with now yeah it wasn't really part of that yeah, it doesn't really get um, so mentioned, right. does it, in the Pantheon? Right. Um, yeah. Um, and then uh, I was really interested to, to see that you have written two textbooks on art. Uh, and and, and uh, how, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of part and parcel with my, you know, progression through kind of higher education. So, yeah, after I taught, you know, I was teaching like I said, design fundamentals, color theory for, for many, many years. I just got to a point where um, I decided to write textbooks that I would, you know, if I was going to make a textbook for the classes that I was teaching, this is <laughs> this is the content, you know, I wanted to put together. And so, um, uh, yeah, so I wrote, initially wrote um, Foundations of Design. Um, actually, during kind of, uh, I, I've on a few different occasions, I've gone on um, artist residencies um, at different places. And so um, I did an artist residency at Vermont Studio Center for a month, um, somewhere along the line. And I did it. I did a different month at the Wurlitzer Foundation in Taos, Mexico. And in each of those residencies, I used, I basically took a month long sabbatical to do each of those. And they were geared towards sort of having dedicated time to, um, create art and just explore your art. Yeah. Um, but I would 
do that during the day. And then after dinner, I would spend my evenings uh, writing, working on these textbooks. And so um, the first one I wrote was um, Foundations of Design. Um, it was initially picked up by um, Cengage Publishing, which is kind of a academic um, publishing company. Um, and I ended up not being super happy with kind of how, what they were doing with the book in terms of marketing and sales. Um, and I knew I had another one kind of, you know, queued up that I wanted to do, which was Foundations of Color, which is kind of the follow-on to Foundations of Design. So um, I ended up writing that one and self-publishing it um, and just sort of building my own sort of publishing arm to support that book. And then eventually was able to get Foundations of the rights to Foundation of Design back and self-publish that one as well. And so, okay. yeah, so I have both those two books and, um, you know, they're still utilized in curriculum across, across the U S and yeah, yeah <laughs> it's kind of fun. Great. Yeah. I, you don't have to tell me about, uh, my publisher who will go unnamed, um, did absolutely nothing to market or, you know, promote my book. So I, I hear you on that. Front. Yeah. And, it's, it's and it was, you know, it was nothing against them. It was just, I, it was just a, it was a matter. It was a weird timing issue. Like, the book came out during a restructuring period for the company and it just kind of got lost in the shuffle. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, that was a fun process and it's just, it was kind of just really, you know, art and writing those books and teaching. And it was all just kind of part of like what my career was, right. They all, the, the writing fed into the fact that I was, you know, stemmed from my teaching and fed back into my teaching and my art making was kind of, in support of my teaching as well. And so it was, it's just kind of all bundled together into a, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then I find it really interesting how you, um, the lack of precision was sort of what drove you more and more towards digital art. Um, yeah. When did that really start to, to pick up for you in, in this journey of when you're an art professor and uh, writing textbooks and things like yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, it just, it, um, you know, it came from the fact that I learned some of these design tools when I was in grad school. And I was actually, you know, for many years, I would use them, you know, like I'd use Adobe Illustrator, but I'd use it like a sketchbook. Um, so I would, I kind of mentioned this before, I would map out exactly what my composition and color system would look like for a work of art. And then I'd be like, okay, that's the thing, I need to make it. And then I would take that plan, essentially, and I would execute it in paint or create a silkscreen or, or whatever um, the situation was. And part of that was that I didn't really think of what I was doing digitally as like a work of art. It was a preparatory thing um, that I was doing. And I thought, well, maybe I could figure out how to print these, you know, like digital prints. But kind of when I was engaged in that kind of work, the, the quality of printing didn't feel like was worthy of being a work of art. Um, I didn't. I didn't feel like that. The output that I would have been able to achieve with the existing printing technology at that time um, was strong enough. I guess you know, just it felt secondary to like making a painting or doing something else, doing a uh, more traditional print. And is um, this is this like when computer monitors were like CRT still? Or was it still yeah, sort of like that sure. era? Yeah. 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 And so so that's, I mean, there was either, there was right? inkjet prints, sure, but you know, you could see the resolution and, you know, and paper quality, you know, it, you, 
I don't know. It's just, it wasn't great. And I just wasn't comfortable like using that as the expression of like what I was trying to do. But eventually that caught up. And so I think probably, yeah, 99, 2000, um, I started realizing that there, there was printing technology that was like more compelling and that I could use. And so at that point, I was still working in the same way where I was like hand drawing um, architectural abstraction of my drawings or of my surroundings. And I was doing it digitally, but then I was like, I'm going to just print these from my illustrator files or Photoshop files. And then that's how I started working for many years for probably about 10 years. Um, so, um, digital creation, digital production, not generative yet at that point, I was just still, you know, they were, um, all decisions that I was making myself and, and based on, you know, my visual surroundings. And, um, so yeah, I was kind of for, I probably for about 10 years, um, just consider myself sort of a digital printmaker. Um, and I, I, I do often just the way that I worked anyway is like, uh, I would work in series, um, very often, um, I'd sort of develop a structure to explore and then create similar variants inside of that structure. Um, and so I would work in sets of three or five or eight or 10. And so, you know, again, not, not truly generative, but I was kind of working, starting to ease into that direction. So kind of over a period of time and working digitally helped me um, do more of that because I could, I could work more quickly or explore ideas more thoroughly or more deeply. Yeah. It's almost like, it's not a template, but you have the sort of, yeah, no, I think that's actually a good way to sort of think about it. It wasn't like a hard template, but I would come up with an idea and I'd be like, okay, but I could also explore variants inside the same concepts and keep a lot of the same framework and create a series of eight pieces instead of a singular piece. And if I didn't have to paint, take the time <laughs> to build and paint them all each individually, then I was a little bit more agile, you know? And so oh, yeah. I started working. Efficient. Yeah. Yeah. So I was able to work a little bit more, think about depth, I guess, a little bit more in my work. Yeah. yeah. Do you think growing up outside of Chicago and then your time at the Art Institute of Chicago, because when I look at a lot of your work, you said it's geometric, but it also seems very architectural to me. Oh, for sure. Do, do, do you think that influenced you? And, and, and like, I mean, Chicago is a great skyscraper city. Um, and I see a lot of that in your work. Did, did Was that conscious or, or do you, where do you think that comes from? Yeah, I mean, I probably, yeah, both conscious and unconscious. I mean, it absolutely just um, the geometry of the city or just, just really, I think, got into my mind as something that, you know, that I could draw from, you know, um, draw, draw inspiration from. And so for sure. Yeah. I mean, I knew that what I was doing during that period of my artistic career, I was, I was very explicit about it. I was essentially looking at the architecture and, and, and when I say architecture, I don't necessarily mean like, it's just, it can be very mundane things like a door frame. Mm-hmm. you know, and a wall, it didn't, you know, it didn't have to be something that was like this compelling, you know, architectural yeah, specimen, um, but just literally the fact that, yeah, that you're just surrounded by lines and rectangles and squares and right angles, like that just was ample, you know, fodder for me to like create geometric abstractions based off of. So yeah, yeah for sure. And then let's, let's fast forward a little bit. Um, <clears throat> When did you sort of get into the, or how were you exposed first to 
you know, maybe blockchain in, in general or crypto? And then can you just sort of lay out how you were first, um, I believe you were approached by Artblocks to, to do some work for them, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, well, I, I can back up just a little bit before that. Um, so probably around 2010 or so, um, I started uh, wanting to introduce randomness into the work that I was doing. Um, and so uh, I initially started tinkering with things like spreadsheets and other ways to just create random decisions or random tables of data. Um, and then I would use that information to, to then guide, say, the construction of a composition or color choices that I would make. Um, and that was really intriguing to me. It was just sort of a new direction for my work. And then I realized, like, this is really tedious to do this. Like, there must be a way to, like, automate, like, have these decisions be made, but also have the drawings happen simultaneously um, with the decision-making process, the kind of the randomized decision-making practice. And so that's when I started uh, learning processing. Um, and so um, that was kind of my foray into generative art. I taught myself processing and some basic... Is by processing, do you mean you're actually writing code now? Yes. Yeah. So sorry. Processing is kind of like was one of the kind of one of the first programming languages it's based on javascript but it was it was geared towards artists and visual output um and so uh i just from some research just discovered it and just started teaching it myself to me to, to, to how to program in it okay. um i had never really done programming before but again sort of i think my math background's kind of coming into play i mean the the logic of it made sense to me um and so um, so that started my career in Janivart. And so that's how I've been pursuing my art now for the last, whatever, 13, yeah. <laughs> 13 years um, since then. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, yeah, blockchain, um, in 2019, um, I started exploring NFTs. I really didn't have any... Um, background in crypto you know I, I probably knew what bitcoin was just from the news you know but no real understanding of what that meant or what a block you know just knew oh, it was cryptocurrency um but at some point in 2019 my recollection is is that um a platform or two um started following me on twitter i think super rare and maybe known origin um started following me on twitter and I actually didn't really use Twitter all that much. So it was, I noticed, <laughs> you know, if somebody followed me, I probably had a notification and I'm like, oh, well, let me go check that out. And I went in and looked at these platforms and I was trying to figure out how they worked. And I, ultimately I was really, really intrigued by this idea of that the artwork on these sites was digital. Um, you weren't like buying an artwork and then getting a print or something like that. And that there was a market for these things like people were buying and selling digital artworks and given you know at that point i'd been doing generative art for you know 10 years or so and been you know producing work digitally but you know the end point was always a print you know like or something physical that i would create you know from my algorithms um i was just really interested. It was like, oh, okay, well, I let me just tinker around this and play. And so I bought 
$20, $40 worth of Ethereum on Coinbase. And that was going to be my minting supply and just see see what happened. And and so, yeah, so I minted some of my first pieces on Super Rare um, and sold them for, you know, 0.1 ETH or something, which was like, <laughs> like $20 or something yeah. <laughs> at the time. Yeah, was, and, but it was like, it, that, that didn't matter. It wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like I was trying to do it to like, make a bunch of money or like i thought this was going to be like lucrative but it was really cool so just like i put this thing online someone bought it digitally and i received 0.1 eth back and that that can pay for the next thing that i want to do mm-hmm. um yeah so i was experimenting with that i was still kind of keeping my normal art practice intact i was still you know creating projects that i would turn into prints and exhibit you know locally and that sort of thing um and just the more the more I kind of, you know, got got into NFTs, just the more interesting I thought it was. And so um, later, it probably actually probably, yeah, late 2019, early 2020, I was like, I'm going to try to just like, oh, it's I guess what I had been doing for the work that I was turning into NFTs is I was taking existing projects that I had been working on already. And then I would just run like essentially additional outputs from those algorithms and then mint those. And then, um, so it was just, I wasn't necessarily doing anything new or specific, um, in the NFT space. They were just sort of extensions of, of the other, of other work I was already doing. And so early 2020 or so, I was like, I'm going to just like go in, like, I'm going to go all in and just dive in for a period of time and just really focus on on nfts and try to figure this out and so i got really active on twitter and figuring out who's in the space and who to follow who to talk to um and then i created my first project specifically for um for just nft distribution that was different from other things i was working on it was uh, called the series was called abstract tokens and it was a series of 40 nfts that i did um uh, and i mint them kind of on a combination of super rare and rareable and you know got you know tried to market myself and and kind of you know be a little bit more active and and have more of a voice on twitter about what i was doing and it was it was a pretty successful project um but the the nature of what i was it was a generative project you know i wrote algorithms for that work um I'd run the algorithm and then I would hand select outputs, create PNG files. And then that's, that's the things I would mint on super. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a great project and really got me kind of, uh, immersed into the culture as it were in the community. And then, but I, I remember having conversations, you know, with people while I was kind of, I'd have to dribble out the project over weeks and weeks. Cause you could only, you know, there were limits on how many pieces you could have, you know, mint per week, say on super rare. So it took, took me a while to get 40, 40 artworks kind of out, you know, into the public. And I remember having conversations like, man, wouldn't it be great? Like, it just makes sense that you could put, you could easily just figure out a way to just, and I didn't know the technical, you know, steps to do this, but it just makes sense to me that you could just put this algorithm like online and just let people create the outputs on the fly you know what i mean and just buy them that way like a vending machine that's kind of how i was describing it and so later uh in 2020 um i received an email from uh, eric calderon uh, founder of artblocks uh and he said i 
you know, discovered your work. Uh, I, I really enjoy it. I think you'd be a really, you know, you're doing generative work. I think you'd be a great fit for this platform that I'm working on um, called Artblocks. Um, and so that was it. It was a cold sort of, um, you know, introduction of the platform and an invitation to join. Um, and I, I said to him, I said, oh my gosh, this is, this is awesome. You're describing this thing that I, <laughs> that I was also interested in this art vending machine. And he was like, oh yeah, yeah, no, that's great. It's like a generative vending machine. Um, so I got my first project together and, and, uh, you know, I was a little nervous at first cause I thought, you know, technically I didn't know if I understood enough to like, you know, deploy the project. Like I hadn't, you know, I didn't know what like test nets were or, um, you know, token hashes or <laughs> things like that. Yeah. So, but Eric was very, you know, gentle and patient with me and kind of stepped me through a lot of that process. Um, and yeah, and then we went live, um, with the first, uh, projects and art blocks. It, it was actually Black Friday, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, uh, 2020. Um, so he had a project, Eric did, his brother, uh, DCA, and myself. And so the, those three projects, Chromie Squiggles, Genesis, and Construction Token, um, all went live kind of on opening day um, for art blocks. Yeah. And I mean, since then, art blocks has grown into this huge. Um, one of the most influential platforms for generative NFT art. It's, I think it's sales. I, I don't know. Secondary market sales are obviously like through the roof. They're in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and I, I was interested to hear you talk about randomness and, and you wanted to, um, in, in, you know, in, infuse randomness into your art. Um, on the one hand, you said, you know, you, you sort of liked the efficiency of doing series, right, on, in, in a digital format where you could do many different takes on a, on a certain sort of approach um, in, in a relatively quick time compared to painting them by hand. Was there something That's else about this episode? That, that Thanks for joining us. And don't forget to rate and follow yeah, I mean, this show on Apple, you know, Spotify, and Amazon Music. My early work Decent People is a production of Decentral Media. It is produced by Matt Bogart with music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Himes. Algorithmic spaces. And so there would only be like a handful of decisions that you could make or you could completely exhaust the system, you know, in eight tries or something like that. Um, and so the randomness part became more appealing to me when you would, you could develop systems that were bigger than you could sort of deal with in terms of iterating over the space of that system yourself. Just, um, through your own doing. And so randomness kind of allows you this sense of like, you can create a highly structured or ordered system or not, I suppose, but I, I do the way, the way I like to work is create a really highly ordered and structured system, but maybe it's large enough that you, to, to understand what's happening inside of it, you have to introduce randomness because otherwise you'll just get stuck in some portion of that space. I don't know if that makes sense, but the, the randomness sort of frees you up to um, think about the overall system than individual decisions within that system. And yeah. so, um, and then when you pair that with computing and coding, um, you're able to iterate super, super rapidly inside of that system and sort of start to understand what it looks like, how it feels. And that can then inform your refinement or development 
of the system um, by yeah. seeing lots of outputs. So then you, I mean, I don't know how quickly this came about, but you are the chief creative officer at Artblocks. Um, what what does that title entail? Like, what are you, what, uh, are you looking for new people to bring onto the platform? Are you um, kind of making decisions about the direction you guys want to go next? Or w what's that like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, essentially, it just means that, you know, I, I have responsibility over the team that is kind of... Uh, works with artists and the art and the projects that come come out of art blocks or kind of the creative mm. output of of art blocks is essentially you know in in my domain yeah so i mean essentially i um you know when i when eric contacted me and we you know i had went live with my project i actually at that point had stopped teaching um uh, at, in higher education um and i was doing some entrepreneurial work kind of on my own um, I started a, a, a print print publishing company called Dave's Editions, and I would work with contemporary artists um, to create uh, digital prints um, of their artwork. And that's what that's what essentially my day job was when I was doing you know NFTs at night and did you know kind of got going on art blocks. And so after you know art blocks kind of started just you know, first couple of projects came through, I just approached Eric and said, Hey, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to help you build this thing. I'm just really intrigued with what you're working on. Um, here's a skill set, you know, essentially that I have from what I've been doing over the last couple of years, which is managing artists, helping them bring projects uh, to online sales, <laughs> essentially. Um, and I said, I can just I can just pivot out of that and I can do it here at Artbox. And I just sort of pitched them and said, this is what I could help. And if, yeah. if it's a, you know, of interest to you, and that would allow you to sort of focus on sort of the business elements or the tech elements, you know, of, of Artbox. And yeah, he thought that was a good idea. Um, and talk about great so, timing. Yeah. Yeah. And that so was... I was the first yeah official employee, employee of Artbox. Um, and yeah. And so that's just been my role. Um, it's just been working. It's, it's just, it's been a dream come true, to be honest, like yeah. sort of having this front row seat to work with all these amazing generative artists and, you know, help them uh, be supported and bring, bring their projects to life. And so um, it, there's just, I, it's, I guess it's kind of a thread, I suppose, through a lot of my career, through education and through the entrepreneurial yeah. work, I get a lot of satisfaction out of seeing other artists succeed you know what i mean yeah. not just not just focusing on my own artwork i really get a lot out of helping other artists <laughs> yeah, bring no, their work to life as sounds well like that's definitely in your educational background um, yeah. and desire but another great collaboration with you has been with seth goldstein at um bright moments um where you've participated in several of his shows um in los angeles and all around the world um how did you meet Seth? And and can you talk a little bit about the Bright Moments experience and what it's like to be there with the person who's going to buy your NFT as it's being unveiled before both of your eyes for the first time? I mean, that's one of the more amazing things to me about yeah. this um, space. Yeah, I mean, so the, you know, my Bright Moments story actually is, does not start all that differently <laughs> from my art block story. Um, Seth DM'd me on Twitter and said, Hey, I like your artwork. Um, I'm starting uh, an NFT gallery in LA. Um, I think you should check it out. And so <laughs> I set up a call with him. 
Yep. And uh, he kind of gave me a video walkthrough of the space and, and its humble beginnings. Uh, Twitter has been very good to you. Yes. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> um, and But I had been, so this was, you know, kind of all of my NFT career has been during uh, sort of pandemic era. Um, and so as I was kind of getting into NFTs and digital art, um, I wasn't, I was no longer having opportunities or pursuing things sort of in the physical world because uh, things weren't open. There wasn't opportunities mm -hmm. to go have a gallery opening. And so increasingly sort of my art practice just became sort of online um, and sort of that's where my work was being presented and where it was being talked about and where I was engaging with people. Um, and so Bright Moments kind of came along. It was sort of at the first you know people were just starting to get their second vaccines and kind of lockdown was starting to to lift a little bit and so the timing was really good for me too because i was really interested in like i really want to get back to this sort of social aspect of my in real life social aspect of of presenting my work getting it on the walls showing it to people interacting with them in a, in a physical space and so um it didn't I didn't need too much convincing that I wanted to experiment with, <laughs> you know, doing yeah. that. And so Bright Moments was the first, yeah, you know, and kind of place I, I uh, you know, that I, that I found. Yeah, definitely coming out of the pandemic, that, that human connection of being together with people again in a gallery and, you know, uh, everyone enjoying the artwork and stuff was, was a huge um, deal just um, beyond the fact that Seth and the, the folks at Bright Moments had the, you know, very smart idea of, you know, bridging the gap between the real world and the NFT world by by making people come in and mint things in person. Yeah, yeah, and it started. It started. The minting came a little later, and so like my first show uh, was um, Portals um, in Venice Beach. And what we did there is I actually created a, an Artblocks project, but I we didn't really have a mechanism for like live minting. There just like it, there wasn't really a way to functionally do it and so what we did instead is i pre-minted them the whole it was only a project of 10 outputs but i pre-minted all 10 and then we sold them on auction um in the gallery during the opening um, we just listed them you know on auction on OpenSea, yeah. and ran the auctions um and then after that i think they had other shows like that but then they decided the next place they wanted to go was new york and so period between moving from LA to New York, uh, the Bright Moms team got their, you know, figured out how to approach this idea of IRL minting. So doing the minting actually in the space mm -hmm. in real time. Um, it's where they came up with the concept of mint passes that could then be redeemed, you know, burned essentially to um, to do the to do the IRL minting. And so uh, I did a project uh, in New York called Reflections. And so that was my first experience with um, actually minting directly, you know, in a real life setting with the collectors. Um, and that was, I mean, that experience was amazing. I mean, I just, I, I don't even know. It was so special. So it was, we would have seven or eight collectors. They would go down into the basement of the building they would mint their work and not see it. And then they would come back upstairs to where the main gallery was. And there was a monitor for each one of them. And they would stand in front of their monitor and then 
ta-da, the, the artwork yeah. was, you know, yeah. revealed to them. Um, and then I would walk down the line and I would talk to each individual person, um, like, cause it was new to me too. And so we are experiencing it for the first time together. Um, and I would kind of figure out what features were at play and explain them to the, the collector and kind of what they, you know, help explain what they were seeing yeah, and then amazing. give them a hug and then go do it the next time. And we did that times a hundred minutes over the course um, of a night. And it was just, yeah, it was a really special, special yeah. event. And I was at really that event. Changed. I didn't, yeah. I unfortunately didn't get to see you, but I was there for the Tyler Hobbs night, which was, okay. um, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, and But it really changed, yeah, my approach. And so that was also part of what sort of like locked me into the fact that as much as uh, bright moments will have me, uh, I would like to continue, <laughs> you know, <laughs> presenting my artwork in this, you know, in this way. And so, yeah, so I, I've been a artist at, at, you know, they've thankfully, you know, not gotten sick of me and I've been an artist at every city um, since. So, and, and I would imagine this has changed your life entirely, right? Did you ever think as you were going through your art career, you know, years ago that, I mean, I, I think I would imagine Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is probably paying the bills, right? And this is this is what you're doing. And, and yeah, did you ever and think it, that you would get to this point, like something like this? No, no, never. I mean, you you sort of always sort of dream of it, like, oh, yeah, someday, you know, my art will be, you know, popular enough that you know, maybe I can just support myself as an artist. Um, but even now, I mean, even if that is true, I'm still working at Artblocks full time. I mean, I've always just always had like. Mm -hmm a day job and then the art was sort of in addition to the day job kind of thing. Um, so I don't know. So, I mean, but yes, I mean, the trajectory of what's been happening over the last several years is just, yeah, it's really hard to like understand, you know, I mean, this, the opportunities that have come up are just, I can't, I feel really blessed, you know, that yeah, well, travel that I've been able to do and the people I've been able to meet and the exposure. Congratulations, though, because I mean, yeah. the opportunity's there, but you have to be ready for it. And you obviously um, were ready for it and are ready for it. Um, Jeff, this has been a, a really fascinating conversation. Thank you for, for taking us back over your background and your history and, and how you got to here today. Um, why don't you let people know how they can find you um, if they'd like to, to find you online? Yeah, well, it's, first of all, yes, thank you so much for the conversation. It's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate uh, appreciate the time and space. Um, really, the best place to, to find me is probably Twitter. Um, I'm at Jeff G. Davis um, on Twitter. That's where most of my Web3 dialogue occurs. Um, uh, but you could also find me on Artblocks. Um, just search Jeff, G., Jeff Davis um, in the search bar. I have quite a few projects there, so you can check that out. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Jeff, and good luck in Tokyo. I hope that it goes well and is as exciting as all the other um, Bright Moments events. And uh, would love to talk to you again sometime in the future. You bet. Thanks so much. Yeah, hope to see you again soon.